Book 4, Chapter 4 of The Heavenly Twins This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asher, mtsg.tv slash news. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah G. Chapter 4 all that the tenor had witnessed of the scene in the marketplace made little or no impression on him, and he would probably never have thought of it again had he not encountered the boy a few nights later, standing idly observant as before at the same time and almost in the same place. The tenor's first impulse was to pass on without speaking, but the boy looked at him and there was something in the look, half shy, half appealing, which caused him to stop, and having stopped, he was obliged to speak. To his first commonplace remark, the boy answered nervously, with quick glances instantly averted, as if he were afraid to meet the tenor's eyes. The latter continued to talk, however, and after a little the boy's timidity wore off, and his manner became assured. This is a curious old place, is it not? he remarked and curiously named if you consider how very little quest there is for morning here for the new day which would bring the light of truth after the darkness of error it never struck me that the name could have any allegorical significance the tenor answered prosaically i believe it used to be morn and quest it stands at the junction of the two rivers you know or rather just below it they run their united rays from hence to the sea i know said the boy but it really is a romantic old place, especially by moonlight, and it teems with historical associations, as the guidebook has it, with its cathedral, cloisters, castle, and close, the closest in England, they say. Don't you feel remote from the world when you get in there, and the four old gates are shut upon you? The water gate is the most interesting to me. Two of the others are architecturally beautiful, where they haven't been spoilt by restoration, the tenor rejoined. Ah, the boy ejaculated, and then continued boyishly. You are not a native, evidently, or you wouldn't speak so moderately. The inhabitants boast themselves black in the face about everything in the city. They made me believe that the whole earth began here originally, and that it was also the point of departure for the sea. It did wash their walls on the southern side once upon a time, but the sinfulness of the people compelled it to retire ages ago, and it has since enjoyed a purer moral atmosphere twenty miles away. Indeed, said the tenor, I did not know that the sea was so fastidious. Oh yes, it is, naturally, the boy declared, but it cannot choose its position for itself always any more than a weekend. But people are more entertaining than places, he pursued. Don't you think so? Now, these people, how God-fearing and orthodox they are, and how admirably they make religion part of their daily life in the matter of stretching a point and using the right of Christian charity to be lenient when a too rigorous adhesion to principle would injure their interest. Their chief confectioner retired from business the other day, but they would not give their custom to his successor at first because of his religious opinions. They forsook him for his atheism. In fact, 
but in a very short time they return to him for his ice creams, which are excellent. If you ever feel any doubt about life being worth living, go and get one. It'll reassure you. They had been strolling on as they talked, and now the tenor turned to look at his companion, being about to answer him when something in the boy's face struck him as familiar, and he paused, knitting his brows in a perplexed effort to think what it was. Measured beside himself, the boy was rather taller than he looked, but very slender, and his hands and feet were too small. He had dark eyebrows, peculiarly light, luxuriant hair, and as a natural accompaniment, a skin of extreme fairness and delicacy. In fact, he was too fair for his age. It made him look effeminate, and had it not been for the dark eyebrows and eyelashes, his colouring would have been insipid. As it was, however, there was no lack of character in his face, and you would have called him a pretty boy, while thinking it high time he had grown out of his prettiness. This was the tenor's reflection, but his too earnest gaze apparently disconcerted the boy, who returned it with one quick anxious glance, and then seemed to fake fright, and finally bolted, leaving the tenor alone in the road. That young rascal is out without leave, and is afraid of being recognised, he concluded. It was some weeks before they met again, and during the interval the tenor often thought of the boy with curiosity and interest. There was something unusual in his manner and appearance, which would have attracted attention even if his conversation had not been significant, and that it was significant the tenor discovered by the continual recurrence to his mind of someone or other of the boy's observations. He had not tried to find out who the boy was, interest not having stirred his characteristic apathy in such matters to that extent, but he looked for him continually, both by day and night, his thoughts being pretty equally divided between him and the lady whose brilliant glance had had such a magical effect upon him the first time he encountered it. She came to the cathedral regularly now, and always sat in the canon's pew and always when she sang she looked at him, and he knew that the look was an expression of appreciation and thanks. He knew, too, that the day she did not come would be a blank day for him. End of chapter 4 Recording by Asher, mtst.tv